Welcome to the study of God's Word with pastor and author Ed Taylor, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, here's Pastor Ed to take us into our study. Amen. Would you take your Bibles and open them to the book of Romans, chapter 5? Romans chapter 5 in a Bible study that I've entitled The Shaping, Molding, and Developing Work of God. How God wants to shape us and mold us and develop us through the trials in life because our lives are filled with the irritating times of sorrow and sadness, the, the difficult times of problem and, problems and pain. Sometimes we brought them on ourselves with bad decisions and sinful decisions. Other times, they're the bad, sinful decisions of others. But ultimately, pain and sorrow exist because we live in a sin-soaked world. And the root of all pain comes from sin and man's rebellion against God. And of all the things that we know, and all the things that we share in this room, we can know this. You can count on facing trials and difficulties. You can count on it. It's nothing that you're going to be able to avoid or sidestep. There isn't anything you're going to be able to do to escape the reality of pain and suffering in this world. And you say, well, wait a minute, Ed. Wait a minute. Did you say I can count on it? I mean, is that like I'm going to face these things? Isn't it now that I'm a Christian, I'm a believer, I'm not going to be able to, 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 to have a pass on some of these things? And the answer is no. No, and I'm sorry that no one told you when you were saved and when you were born again that life would be difficult. In some cases, much more difficult than they were when you were not saved. Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 7, verse 24, he, gave, he ended his, what's known as the Sermon on the Mount. He ended his sermon with an illustration of two guys that build houses. One guy built a house on solid rock, the other one built on sand. But neither one of them knew the foundation of their homes until what? The storms came. And the Bible says that storms came and beat on those houses. And, and it was through the storm that the foundation of their life was revealed. It was Jesus himself that taught us in John chapter 16. He said, in this world you will have tribulation. He warned us. And yet he says, but be of good cheer because I've overcome the world. And so there is a difference in trials between the believer and the unbeliever, but we both and all face them. James taught us in James chapter 1, verse 2, he said to, be, to count it all joy when we fall into various trials, because we will. You know, it reminded me of things that I read on the building of the Golden Gate Bridge. It's an engineering marvel. They decided to build the bridge right over the San Andreas earthquake fault line. And so the engineers had to be very careful to design this in a way to survive and preserve life. So they engineered it to sway like 20 feet either way at its center. They put the land acres down deep into the bedrock and, and swung down that flexible cable system so that the bridge would be able to withstand all that it would face. Engineers had to take into account what they call the load systems, how it would be affected. They would have to 
account for three different types of load or stress that would come upon the bridge. There was the dead load, the live load, and the wind load. The dead load was the weight of the bridge itself. The live load was the weight of the daily traffic that the bridge must carry. And so the live load was then put upon the dead load. And then finally they needed to engineer it for the wind load, which would be the pressure that the storms, when storms would come, you had the weight of the bridge, everybody on the bridge, and then being able to withstand the storms that would come to that bridge so that it would keep standing and preserve life. And someone once compared it to our lives, and I thought it was a great comparison. The author wrote, in our lives, we need bracings, which make it possible to carry the dead load of self, the live load of daily living, and the wind load of emergencies and surprise situations. When we place our trust in Jesus Christ, he gives us the strength we need to withstand these various stresses as they come upon us daily on top of each other. And thus he gives our lives usefulness, stability, and durability. It's in and by faith in Jesus Christ that we are given the strength to endure the difficulties of life. That, that, that our trials are not wasted, but rather used to make us into the men and women that God desires. Now I know anytime we talk about trials and testings, it's easy for some of you listening in, whether you're here now or you're listening live on the internet or on the radio right now, it, you, you have a habit. You have a habit when you are in a Bible study and you don't like what's being said and, and you don't like the message that's being conveyed. So here's the habit that maybe you're familiar with, some of you. The habit is this. When we're talking about trials and testings, it's easy for you just to dismiss the Bible study and make the Bible study some issue between you and the speaker. Like you listening to me right now. You're, you're having a hard time with the topic and we haven't even jumped into the text yet. And, and what's happening in your mind is going, you're, you're looking at me and you're saying, who are you to speak into my life? What do you know about trials? And what have you gone through? And what have you faced? You know, you don't understand what I'm going through. You don't feel what I'm feeling. You don't know what I go home to. And, and that would be a great mistake for you to make if you make a Bible study something between you and me. Because when we gather together, it's not, because, it's not between you and me, it's between you and God. It's not that I have to experience every single thing that you've experienced in order to point you to Jesus Christ. I don't. And it's not that I have to experience some huge, heavy trial in my life in order to gain some type of credibility in your life for you to hear me, because I don't. Although if we had more time, and for a different time in a different Bible study, I certainly could share the difficulties of my life. But even if I did, the credibility of God's word doesn't come from me and my life. It comes from him. He is true and trustworthy. And I have to say, if you're feeling that, I do want to agree with you. I don't understand what you're going through. I don't fully understand what you face every day. I don't feel what you're feeling. I'm not able to to fully appreciate how hard life is for you right now. There is truth to that. But I have the confidence of the presence of God in my life to know that I don't have to feel or understand the things that you're going through in order for me to point you to the one who does, who loves you and cares for you. And so it's a battle, isn't it? It's a battle to trust God in the midst of difficulties. It's hard. 
It's hard to trust God when things don't end up the way that you want, and then when, when they don't end up the way you want, and it's super painful. It's hard. And yet, God is able to enter into even the most difficult, hard situations in our lives and speak healing and hope and comfort. Do you know that the things that you're going through right now, according to the Bible in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, the Bible says that He is the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our tribulations. Why? Well, not only to receive comfort ourselves, but so that we might be able to comfort others with the comfort that we've received. God wants us as a family and as a body of believers to serve and help one another. But ultimately, true comfort and healing comes from God alone. And so please don't make the mistake of making a Bible study some issue where you're going to argue with the pastor or or resist the, the work of the Holy Spirit. It's not between you and me. It's between you and God. And He loves you and He cares for you. Sent His own Son, Jesus Christ, to die for you to prove His love for you. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ today, you need to know that God is using the trials in your life to develop you and to shape you and to mold you in ways that wouldn't happen any other way. So notice with me in verse 1 of chapter 5 in Romans. Paul is writing to the believers in Rome and, and he says something glorious. He's given these high-level doctrine, just, just beautiful, uh, laying out some of the most beautiful doctrines in all the Bible, so much so that it took us three years to study through the book of Romans. Such a glorious time of Bible study. But then there's these insights of his personal relationship with the Lord. And he says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is a pinnacle in Romans, one of many. And Paul is just telling us how good it is to know Jesus Christ. You have peace with God, no longer at war with God. Because of your faith in Jesus, he's now your friend and you're his servant. You have access to God. Imagine that. The creator of the universe has given you access to him by relationship, not through a bunch of religious rituals and all the things you need to do that maybe, just maybe you might get there, but rather full and open access through the blood of Jesus Christ. Amazing. Just, just like with my kids growing up. I have an office at home and I'm studying and, I'm, and I have an office here anywhere I am. Even if they needed something from me in this very second, they have access to me. I'll stop everything for my kids. Well, imagine that what you would do for your kids, how much more God does for you. That at any moment you have access. Any moment. No longer fighting in God. You, not only that, he says you have hope. You have hope in the glory of God. No longer living a hopeless existence, you realize that this world is not all there is. Not only that, he says you can stand in grace. You have a new firm fitting. And it's not what, firm footing. And it's not what what you have done, but the footing of your life is all that God has done for you. These are just amazing, wonderful. These are things you take to the spiritual bank and you live your life on. These few verses alone can transform your life. And then he writes, and not only that, and you go, what else, Paul? What else? Not only that, access and peace and hope and grace. And not only that, but we also glory in our tribulations. And then you say, I don't think so, Paul. I don't think so. And, and I'll tell you, 
you know, just between you and me, don't let it get out of this room, but just between you and me, I'm not there yet. I'm not there. There's a, there's, there's a little bit in me that I, 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 I understand the Bible theologically, God, and I accept your love, but glory in my tribulations, I'm not there. My present trial and all the drama surrounding my, I'm not there. Now, I do want to say, though, looking back, how many of you have ever been in a trial? Put your hands up. Let's keep them up, okay? There's two questions. How many of you can look back on your life and see how God used it in the past? How many? Okay, look around. Just look around. So there are people, and I, my hand's up as well. Look, there are people. We could look back. You can put them down. You, you could look back and go, man, I hated it. I didn't want it. But now a few years have passed. You go, oh, man. Wow, God, you really used that. You, you, I can see the fruit of it. And, and if we could see it in the past, then we know that God's going to do that work in the future. But, man, I'm not there. Like, glory in my tribulations. That's a heavy place to be. And yet Paul's saying, it's a possible place to be. We glory just as much as we're happy about hope and access and grace and forgiveness and freedom and relationship. Paul says you can also, you're going to have the same attitude toward trials. And he gives us a few reasons. He gives us a few reasons of why. Because of the work that trials do in our lives. It says, notice, we glory in our tribulations because we know that tribulation produces. Tribulation produces. Trials produce. If you like to write in your Bibles in verse 3, you can circle the word tribulations. You could write next to it crushings. That's really the word here, crushings. We get the picture of the ancient olive press, which would be a vat with a large stone that they would take and they would put in uh, the olives and then they would just move it around, move it around, move it around, crushing it. The first press, the second press, the third press, they, until they got every single ounce of oil out of the olive. It was just pressed and pressed and pressed. And, and when we, we take our tour to Israel, one of the stops that we have in Nazareth is they show you the actual working of an ancient press and, and the smells and, and the sounds of the crushing. Man, it's hard to, it's hard to think that God is going to bring us to a place of glorying in our tribulations, but he is the crushings of life. They're hard. They're difficult. What exactly is God extracting from our lives through the pain, through the difficulties? You know, why would we even glory in that? Well, listen, it's because in those times that we realize that we can do nothing, that our lives are out of our hands. You see, here's the thing. God brings us to a place through our circumstances, ours or others, he brings us to a place where we cry out. We just, man, I, there's nothing I can do because here's the thing. If, if you see, you see, if, if I can get out of it, then you know what I'm going to do? If I can work my way out of it, if I can wiggle my way out of it, if I can manipulate my way out of it, you know, I'll try. I'll try to get out as fast as I can. My, my flesh and your flesh so much wants to be free from pain. Who doesn't? And so we'll do what we can to avoid it at all costs. But when trials come, when I can't do a thing about it, when a crushing blow comes my way where I can do nothing, then I cry out. I begin to come back to a place of faith and trust. It's interesting because that's where Paul is. 
I glory in it because I know that God's drawing me to himself. I know that he's producing in me that things are changing in my life. And here are the things that are added to my life. This is what trials will produce in your life as you cooperate with your father. Number one, it says that tribulation, verse three, produces perseverance. Those of you that have been with our study series for this season, you know this is a familiar word. It's the English, we also translate this word endurance, and it's the Greek word, many different translations, but it's the Greek word hupomone. It means to bear up under the load. Remember we learned that picture of hupomone, of a tree up on the top of a hill, and it's standing strong, and the winds and the storm comes, and the tree bends and it bows, but when the storm passes, it stands straight again. Hupomone. That's being added into your life and mind through the trial of my life. That the attitude of wanting to give up and wanting to throw in the towel and wanting to run away is common. And yet, in God's hands, He builds in you the willingness and the ability to not quit. And you bear up under. This, is, this kind of perseverance comes to us, you know, when you, it, it's like when you compare your trials with other people. And you, maybe you're watching the video today and you go, man, you're just kind of thinking this, which is normal. And you think something like this. I don't think I could ever survive what they went through. And listen, you're not in their situation yet. So you don't have the strength that's needed to survive. That's why you feel that way. And neither did they when it happened. But when it did happen, God was there to give them the strength for the moment, that special anointing of God's grace to strengthen them. And now we know that whatever God would lead us and allow into our lives, we're going to have the strength to endure. Why? Because God uses the very trial to produce it in your life. It wasn't there before. It's going to be there right when you need it. Perfect supply. Just like manna. You just have enough for the day. You have enough for the moment because of God's faithfulness. Number two, not only does tribulation produce perseverance, but secondly, perseverance, verse four, produces character. Character, that's the inward part of you. The inward part, character. The Old King James translates this experience, and the New American Standard translates this proven character. You see, trials work for the believer, not against us. And God is developing in us the very character of Jesus Christ through the pains. Because remember, lest we forget, the life of Jesus was filled with pain and trials, including the cross. All the interpersonal things, betrayal, hurt, pain, all of it. The Bible says this in Isaiah 53.3, that Jesus is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. God is developing character in us. Which reminded me of, you know, some false teaching that is in the church world today, and Scott alluded to it. It's the idea that in some circles of Christianity today, when men and women are taught that when tough times come, you should just rebuke the devil. That's just rebuke the devil. It's the devil's fault. It's the devil's fault. So, you know, the problem you're going through, you don't have enough faith. You don't give a much. You don't give as much as you should. You're not a good little Christian. So just rebuke the devil because the devil's in everything. He's behind the bush. He's in the sink. He's in your socks. And your whole problem is you don't rebuke the devil enough. So if you just start rebuking the devil, if you just had more faith, if you just gave a little bit more and did a few more good works, then you wouldn't face that thing. That is nonsense. That is not the heart. Do you really think God is like that? 
that, that God, he isn't going to heal you. He doesn't, he's not going to help you because you're, you're not doing enough for him. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God has done everything for us and we owe him our lives. We owe him our lives. I always trip on in this. I, I just, I want to give you some practical, because I, I flip through TV sometimes and I come across these and you know, they're looking right in the camera, pointing at me. You don't have enough faith. Just give to the sow seeds. You know, if you had more faith, you wouldn't be sick. Just sow into your heal, sow into your healing. And the guy, the dude's looking at me in the camera with glasses on. Does anybody get the irony in that? It's like, hey bro, why don't you have a little more faith for your eyes? You with me? Whatever you hear, you want to line up with the scriptures. Here's a guy putting some heavy trip on you when all the while God wants to remove that heaviness. Isn't that the invitation of Jesus? Come to me that you are weary and heavy laden and I'll give you rest. He didn't say go to the church to find rest. He didn't say run to your friends to find rest. He didn't say a thousand other things that we substitute for a deep, personal, abiding relationship with Jesus who loves you and gave himself for you. Character. Becoming more and more like Jesus through the trial. You know, I think too, sometimes you like, what, what if the trial was, as we learned previously, was sent by God? What if God's the one that sent you into the storm? And there you are rebuking the devil and can't you hear the answer from heaven? God might say something like, don't rebuke it, it's from me. I'm using it to minister to you and change you. Here we are talking again, son. And, and don't rebuke it. You know, I, I as a pastor, I, I come, I, I serve many, many people and, and folks will share their issues with me. And, you know, somebody might come up and say, you know what, we're having really bad financial problems and we're having a hard time here and we're having a difficulty paying this bill over there. And, and I might ask them, well, how, how's your giving? Do you tithe unto the Lord? Uh, are you a generous person when God speaks to your heart about helping your neighbor? Uh, how, how are you stewarding? What's God trying to show you through this financial problem? Or another family might come up and say, you know, Ed, our marriage is a wreck. It's horrible. It's difficult. And, and I might look at the husband and I say, well, are you loving your wife as Christ loved the church? And what's God trying to show you as a husband? And I might look at the wife and say, hey, are you submitting unto your husband as unto the Lord? What's God trying to show you through this trial, through this difficulty? And and you think, well, Ed, that doesn't sound very compassionate or helpful. Or, but listen, maybe those answers come in tears. Maybe you're not there when I cry over the church and the pains I have to deal with and you have to live through. And What if that's exactly the Lord's answer to you? To have a brokenness. What is it, when is it that, that you cry over the sins of the church? And when is it that you are broken over the brokenness of others? And you come into their life and go, what is God trying to show you? What's he trying to reveal? What's he trying to develop in you? The biblical response is still God's working. The biblical response is still God has a solution. He's growing you and reducing our flesh and increasing our faith. And you say, well, I don't like it. And I'll tell you what, I don't like it either. But I do love God. And I love the work. His plan for my life is far better than any plan I can come up with myself. And he's proven that time and time again, that he is working a work in our lives and yours. Notice, perseverance, character, and finally, verse four, hope. And I want you to combine four and five. Now, hope does not disappoint 
because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Because when we were without strength, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Hope. Perseverance, character, and hope. You see, hope is developed in my life as I go through a trial, big or small. Because as God brings me through it, the next time a trial comes in my way, I can look back and rejoice and have hope that God is going to minister to me now. But hope is also encouragement because notice, hope doesn't disappoint. The hope of God does not disappoint. And if there's one emotion that shows up in the midst of trials, it's disappointment. We're disappointed in ourselves. We're disappointed in our spouse. We're disappointed in God. We'll even begin to verbalize that. We're disappointed in the church. We're disappointed in the leaders. It seems like everyone has failed, but listen, God hasn't failed. Hope does not disappoint. True hope in God and faith that he's given to us, even when we're without strength, he reached out to us. How much more now? By faith in him. So hope hope doesn't disappoint. It encourages us. Why? Because God will not allow us to stay at the same place spiritually. He will not allow us to hide sin. He will not allow us to pretend and play. He will not allow us to stay. He wants to move and to shape and to add and to subtract. Which leads us to the final illustration I want to leave with you today. Would you turn over to Jeremiah chapter 18? Jeremiah chapter 18. You guys with tablets and phones and everything, I beat you. That's how fast. I'm much faster with my Bible than you are with your little tablet. And then you miss it and you hit a different one and no, I'm already here. I've already read it before you got there. I just want a little bit of laughter. These studies are heavy. So let's have a little bit of laughter because God does love you. As a believer in Jesus Christ, he's poured out his love into you so that now he's not just serving from the outside, but he's developing on the inside. Nobody can do that. Religion can't do that. Man can't do that. Church can't do that. Friends, family, parents. Nobody can touch the inside of a person but the Spirit of God. Only he has access to the inside. And he starts first on the inside and then the outside follows. Which is why we make a great mistake when we judge people outwardly. We make a grave mistake. We need to be open for the Holy Spirit to give us the gift of discernment and understanding because you could look somebody in the eye and not know that they have the testimony that we watched today. Just be open. Be careful. Now, Jeremiah here is given a task. He has a very hard ministry. He's known as the weeping prophet. He's sent by God as he cries over the lost nation in their idolatry and in their forsaking of God. And he has a message to repeat over and over again. But in this case, God had a word for Jeremiah that he was going to send him to a a house to see something and also to hear something. So notice in verse 1 of chapter 18 of Jeremiah, the word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord saying, arise and go down to the potter's house and there I'll cause you to hear my words. Then I went down, verse 3, to the potter's house and there he was making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred. And let's stop right there. The vessel that the potter was making was marred. If you like to write in your Bibles, again, circle the word marred and write the word ruined. Ruined. It was ruined. You get the idea from the Hebrew, good for nothing, broken. In our society, what we would say is whatever's ruined, throw it away and get a new one. That's how we approach ruins. 
We just look at it and go, you know, there's no hope, there's no nothing, and, and here he is. Here's the potter. The potter's doing exactly what he does every day, all day. He takes a lump of clay and he puts it on the wheel and he begins to spin that wheel and he fashions it into the vessel that he wants. And so this is an illustration. It's an illustration. Let's make some connections. The potter, the potter represents our loving Father in heaven. The, that makes the lump of clay, who's that? That's us. So you're just a lump. Just understand that. You're a lump. A lump of clay. And the wheel? Well, the wheel represents life and life's experiences. And sometimes the wheel spins spins fast. Sometimes it spins slow. But the wheel's always spinning. So here's the Father, our loving Father. Navigating the circumstances of life taking us as the lump that we are and plopping us down on the wheel, beginning to make something out of us. And there he is, as he's making something out of us, what happens? Marred, ruined. Everybody watching Jeremiah, watching there, he says, oh man, if you're not a potter, you don't understand the whole dynamics. You're just like, well, it's ruined. All that time, all that energy, everything is just ruined. And friends, we are surrounded by people in life that feel like they are ruined beyond repair. We are surrounded by people because of the decisions they've made and the situations they're in and the pain they're experiencing. They feel like they're ruined beyond repair. And I've been sent by God to you today to remind you that in Jesus Christ, no one is ruined beyond repair. No one is ruined beyond repair. Because we stopped on purpose. We stopped on purpose because that's where many people stop. My life is ruined. My life is ruined. Wasn't that Naomi's? Isn't that where she was? I can't help you. I can't give you another son. I can't do anything for you. Everything's done. I went out full. I came back bitter. I can't help you. Go back to your own false gods. That's where she was. My life's ruined. Don't you come into my ruined life because it's ruined. But she was stuck on herself and in all of her resources. She was accurate. She could not provide what this girl Ruth needed in her life. She couldn't provide it. But she was limiting the solution to just herself. Because I want you to read on. It says the vessel that he made of clay, verse 4, was marred where? In the hand of the potter. That makes all the difference in the world. In the hand of the potter in the hand of the potter, so that he made it again into another vessel as it seemed good to the potter to make. That's encouraging. You know, a lot of times this verse and this section of scripture is used in the debate of Arminianism and Calvinism, and it's just a distraction. It's not what it's about at all. We're being introduced, like Jeremiah was, into a loving father who takes good care of his lumps. And he fashes them. You know, I, I, I'm not an expert in pottery, but I've talked to people that do this. You know, Mike and Pam Rosell were here many times to do their presentation. I'm just a curious person. I ask a lot of questions. And I've learned, and I've learned this by, by listening to Mike specifically, that when the potter takes the lump of clay and puts it on the wheel, he already knows what he's making. We don't know what he's making, but he already knows whether it's going to be a nice vase or it's going to be a nice bowl. He already knows what it's going to be made, but we're watching it being made so that when it's marred, we're like, oh no, the vase, the vase, it's ruined. And the potter said, no, 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 it's going to be a bowl all along. And then he fashions it up, puts it together, and this is what I wanted to make. You see, Jesus even taught us this. 
when he talked about the security that we have in Christ, he said, no one can snatch you out of the Father's hand. You're a lump on the wheel of life in the potter's hand. That even if today you feel like things are ruined and the pain is so bad and it's so difficult and you're shocked about the marring in your life, just understand this. The potter's going to continue to spin the wheel of life and he's going to make you into the vessel that he desires. That's going to bring him the most glory. He says he's going to make it the, the vessel as seem good to the potter. As seem good. You serve a loving father. And I know the wheel spins, man. It gets crazy. You get dizzy. You just don't know. You don't know what's going to happen here. And then you slow down. And other times you're in a stage of life where this wheel spinning what you think is too slow. Speed it up. Speed it up. And yet we can trust by faith in Jesus Christ, that he's the author and the finisher. He controls the speed of the wheel. He's the one that's going to put the thumb in when he needs it or fashion this or take this or pull this or softly everything about the Father. You can trust him because it would be scary if we didn't understand the character and nature of God as he's revealed himself to us. Like the Bible says in Psalm 25, that all the paths of the Lord are merciful and truth. In Psalm 19.9, it says, The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of God are true and righteous. The Bible says in Psalm 119, verse 76, Let, I pray, your merciful kindness be for my comfort according to your word. God is love. He's good and holy and altogether righteous and faithful. So much so that there's a verse that I hang my life on so many times where the Bible says, Even if I'm faithless, God remains faithful. His faithfulness endures for all generations. We don't have to be afraid of the work of God in our lives. He's in charge and he can do what he wants. And we know what whatever he does is going to be good and faithful and bring him the most glory. That means we can trust God. As we'll learn in our next few studies, we're going to learn how God works all things together for the good. We're going to learn that in the depth of what is taught here in Romans later on. It's God is good. We can trust him. We don't have to fight his plan. We can surrender and submit to him and come to him, like Micah says, with humility. In Micah 6, 8, the Bible says, and he has shown you, O man, what is good and what does God require of you but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. It's a marvelous thing to know that God is going to continue to work even when things seem ruined and beyond repair. None of us are finished yet. Not a single one of us. We're all on the wheel. God isn't done with your life, not even close. It might be a real mess right now. It might be really difficult, not where you want to be, not what you thought it would be, not what you expected, not what you wanted, but God is still at work. The process is still ongoing. He's going to fashion you into another vessel that's going to make him receive all the glory. For Jeremiah, the application was clear to Israel. He's given him another chance. He's going to give him another chance. The God of the second chance and the third. The application for us is pretty clear. God wants to keep us, he wants us to remain moldable and soft in his hands. Because if a person has a hard heart and stubbornly resists God's touch, then God has a right to deal with that stiff, stubborn clay. And he will. As the wheel's spinning around, Isaiah 45 verse 9 says, Woe to him who strives with his maker. 
Let the potsherds strive with the potsherds of the earth. Let the pieces of clay fight with the pieces of clay. But shall the clay say to him who forms it, what are you making? Submit to his handiwork. God is developing your lives, all of us. He's building character within us day by day, giving us the strength to endure, giving us the needed character to give testimony to his faithfulness, developing in us hope that is encouraging because hope never disappoints. God always comes through. Trials, temptations, pains, problems, sorrow, sadness, they're all a part of the package. And we learn today from Paul that trials, we can learn to glory in them one day soon because we know that they produce in our lives that which doesn't exist presently. Which reminded me of a poem that I read many years ago, but I use in these studies on trials from time to time. I want to read it to you again. It's from a woman by the name of Florence Willett, and she writes very simply, and I quote, I thank God for bitter things. They've been a friend to grace. They've driven me from paths of ease to storm the secret place. I thank him for the friends who failed to fill my heart's deep need. They've driven me to my Savior's feet upon his love to feed. I'm grateful too, through all life's way, no one could satisfy. And so I found in God alone my rich, my full supply. Father, you know the condition of us today. You know where we are personally. You know where we are corporately. And I just commit to you, our church family right now, God, that you would have your way with us. Those that are visiting, that call this church their home, those that are listening on the radio and the internet right now, that these are hard words to receive sometimes. It's like John 6, you know, when Jesus said a few things, a few hard things. It was hard to receive, hard to take in because in seconds or moments, the reality of the pain in our life is just right there in our face, God, wanting, uh, you know, like the sister, so oppressed, you know, so just beaten down by certain life circumstances that she, she was so blessed yesterday at the tea uh, with the women and so blessed by the word, so close to you. And then within seconds, this dark oppression came upon her. And I pray for her and anyone else <clears throat> today that just had a, they woke up with an oppression, a darkness, a fog, like that the, the, the devil has been lying to them about their current circumstances and using words like never, it's never going to change, never, Lord, and, and forever, and just these extreme words where we get discouraged, Lord. It's just never going to solve. It's, they're never going to change. I'm never going to change, whatever it is, Lord. Would you pour out your Spirit upon us in a fresh, real way, God? Not, not, not just because we've, you know, maybe done our religious duty or whatever, but because you love us. And for some, you're giving endurance right now. For others, you're giving character issues. And others, you're giving hope. Others, you're revealing a, 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 not disappointment, but encouragement. For others, we're like, that, we're reminded of the potter, Lord. You got my life. You got me. I'm sorry, God, that there are times when I wander away from my first love, like the church did. And I forget that you're the potter. What you do is good. And yeah, things might not be the way I want them right now. And, and they aren't, actually. And uh, 
you're still a potter. You're still the one that is going to refashion and remold the way that you want to use my life. And uh, I pray that into the lives of your church today, God. You're going to fashion and mold and things are not hopeless. Things are not out, out there beyond you, Lord. So infuse in us a faith and a trust in you. Give us, the, give us a sense of, of your purpose through it all. And, and, and use us, Lord, to our last breath that we, like David, will wake up in your righteousness. And uh, I pray for those that don't know you today. It's kind of a foreign language that was spoken to them. Um, but there are some words that you, there were some words that they heard, like hope, like a source of real hope, God. And would you pour out your spirit on them today? Bring them to you. If you're here today, you've never given your life to Jesus, just ask him right now. You could say, God, forgive me of my sins. Forgive me of my sins, God, that, that I admit that I failed you. And I want to have a relationship with my creator. So help me to turn away from my sinful past and to live my life for the God who sent his son Jesus to die for me and rose again. I believe you, Jesus. You died and rose again for me. And Father, I know anyone that would pray to you and cry out to you, you don't cast them away. And just like, you know, even those that are following you that made big mistakes, Lord, you don't just throw them away. You refashion them. You do the deep, hard work that only you can do. And I just sense, Lord, that there's some suicidal thoughts like going around right now, maybe this week, just thinking about the only answer is to end it all. And, and would you just, would you pour out your spirit? Like, would you minister to them, God, that, that they know that suicide is not the answer? Would you just remind them? Maybe they feel like nobody loves them, nobody reaches out to them, nobody cares. Would you just remind them of that one person that cares? Or that, that person that called three weeks ago? Or that email they got a month ago? That, that even it might not be as much as they desire or need or want, that people do love them and care for them and it would be a tragic decision, temporary decision for a, a lifetime problem, you know, a, t- a big problem. So would you just be with the suicidal today that have these weird thoughts going through their minds? And they think they're like they're a bad believer or a bad Christian because they're battling their mind thoughts. Lord, would you comfort them? Would you encourage them? Maybe it's the suicidal thoughts that you're using to draw a person to your cross. And for the first time, just submitting their out-of-control mind to the God who created it. And so, God, we leave here with just that sense of purpose, that sense of, of adoration, joy. God, you're... You're, you're so wonderful and good and thank you for saving our souls, redeeming our families and thank you for the promise. I just reminded today, right now, the second you popped this scripture in my mind that we know that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. So thank you for that promise in Jesus' name. Amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. 
or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.